Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. going through some of John's chapters have like 71 verses and so if you do, if you think this is going to be like a book of James series or something like that whoo you are wrong <laughs> and so we just got to settle in here for a moment John chapter number four and verse number 43 starting the Bible says now after two days for those and has everybody been kind of keeping up on online those that haven't been here or podcasts or such so because you know I worry about that and what if I'm missing you in, in the process of everything so, okay so I won't give no explanation we'll just jump right in now after two days he departed thence and went to Galilee for Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem, at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Verse 48, then said Jesus unto him, now here, get this now, I want you to understand, this guy's talking to the Lord about healing his son, he's at the point of death, here's Jesus' response, then said Jesus unto him, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe, <laughs> almost seems a little crash, don't it? <clears throat> the nobleman saith unto him, sir, come down, ere my child die, Jesus saith unto him, go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. This again, the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. Tonight, I would like to speak simply along this line. All signs point to him. All signs point point to him you can uh interject signs miracles wonders whatever all signs point to him amen let's go to the lord right now that he would help us for the next few moments father i come to you tonight we're so grateful again lord jesus for an opportunity lord during these times of being able lord to be in your house god to be able to render lord praise and worship and lord to be attentive god to what you have to say through and by your word i pray god bless your people lord in their diligence and their efforts to be in your house i pray oh god tonight help us god to learn of you lord through the scriptures and will not fail to thank you in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Also be praying for uh, the princess within prison team. Uh, we should have been in Alaska right now this week. Uh, my wife and I opted not to because they're not going to be able to go actually into the prison. Uh, they are having kind of a prison of the mind conference like what we did online. They're hosting it at a church in Alaska, and they're going to be training and teaching uh, some people in Alaska so that whenever those doors open back up, uh, native Alaskans, Eskimos, no, they're not Eskimos, but uh, they're, <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're going to be some native people uh, of, of the uh, uh, Alaskan state that will be able to go inside of those prisons there. So they need your prayers, amen, as they do that. John 4, John 4. Jesus continues on his journey here. Whenever it says that after two days that he departed, he continues on the journey that he started early on here in chapter number 4. If you will remember, he was leaving Judea. He was making headway toward Galilee around verse number 3. And then 
between, of course, Judea that's in the south and Galilee that was in the north was this swatch of land known as Samaria. And that then entails the story where the Bible says that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. It was the direct route. And we've done several lessons on the Samaritan woman and her story quite in-depthly, I think, over the past several weeks and what took place there. And so after he finished there, because remember, uh, the townspeople came out. Uh, they garnered a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. They even asked him to stay for a couple more days, and he did. He obliged, and he did that. And so now he is leaving Samaria, that in-between spot, and continuing north unto Galilee. And uh, him stopping in Samaria, though, isn't anything really uh, peculiar for the Lord uh, because Jesus was known oftentimes to stop or pause at places whenever he was headed somewhere else especially uh, when that, that, that place or that person along the way was somebody that was pregnant with need. We see that more than just the Samaritan story. We see that, uh, for instance, when the Bible uh, describes that Jesus was on his way, uh, Jairus' daughter, 12 years old, she's at the point of death or dead, and as he's on his way there, a woman touches his garment in the crowd. Uh, she's had an issue of blood for 12 years, and she's made whole of that. And so he pauses in that moment while he's to another place because Jesus had compassion for need. Uh, anytime he's seen the needs of the people, whatever the degree of it may have been, his heart, uh, his insides, uh, uh, his inyards, almost literally as the Bible would say, that compassion just compelled him to minister. And so that's how we have uh, him stopping along the journey at different places in Scripture to other places because he's driven by that need. And so since the ministry of Jesus was driven by need, again we see that he goes to Cana of of Galilee. He is going back to the place where he had met a need before. Where he met a need before. You will remember uh, perhaps back in John chapter number 2 that this Cana of Galilee is the place where the beginning of miracles in the gospel of John ever first took place. This is where the Lord turned water into wine at the marriage of Cana. And they definitely here in Cana the first time had a need. Verse number 3 of John 2 says, And when they wanted wine, but the word wanted there actually means not that they desired it, but they lacked it. They suffered need of it. And so there was a need there. And so Jesus responded to their need, much like he will, as the story goes on from chapter 2, respond to the need of the Samaritan woman and the Samaritan people of the town that needed a enlightenment, uh, conversion, uh, not literal water, but spiritual water to drink of. And so here again, he is at Cana where he's met a need before. But this need is different from uh, the, the water turning into wine scenario. It's different than the Samaritan woman and the people of Samaria, their need. This need the Bible describes is there is a nobleman's son that is sick. He is at the point of death. And when you look at the needs that Jesus has already met, just in a few of these summaries of the chapters of John, they, they all are different needs categorically. In reality, they're different because water being turned into wine. And, and again, I wish I had time in when we was that to really discuss this whole concept of wine. And I don't know if we'll put that on an add on around lesson 57, you know, but uh, nonetheless, uh, <laughs> that was just a natural need. Okay, that's a natural need. When we talk about the Samaritan woman and the people of Samaria, that was a spiritual need. As we look at the nobleman's son, we are really talking then about a, a physical need that the Lord is about ready to direct, address. But again, just following these, these miracles and these needs that Jesus addressed, the miracle of turning water into wine, again, you must understand that was a private miracle. There was a very select few people that actually knew of the, 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 the change of water into wine. The Bible says the servants which drew the water knew. Uh, they were the ones that were following the commission of the Lord in filling up the water pots and drawing it out and giving it to the governor of the feast. Mary, of course, that, that bid him to do this. The other disciples that are gathered together, all these people are people that perhaps knew, but by and large, it was a very private miracle, uh, except for those that beheld the water being poured or the water being drawn. The governor of the feast, whenever he got it, 
It had already had its change. He didn't know any different that that came from just water. All right. And so in that miracle, and I believe we can call that a miracle. All right. You can set water in a pot for a thousand years. You'll never get wine or grape juice or Kool-Aid. I mean, it just don't matter. You're never going to get that. And so this was a, a miracle, absolutely creative miracle. But Jesus, in all of that, note, and this is important for our study tonight, that all signs point to him. Jesus did not touch anything that we have recorded in Scripture. He did not touch anything. He basically gave instruction by his word. He told the servants, fill the water pots with water. He didn't touch them. He told them to and then he says a little later, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And yet, when the governor tastes it, he says, most people set out the good wine first when everybody is da-da-da and then this. He said, this is good. And so the miracle, we must understand, of water to wine simply resulted from the Lord's word. And of course, the servants being obedient. But it simply stemmed from his word. He didn't touch anything. He didn't, he didn't wave his hand over. It, it, just, it was just his word. Likewise, though, when we look at the miracle, because anytime someone is converted, your greatest miracle in your life is whenever you was born again of the water and the spirit and salvation came to your house. You know, a lot of people say, well, I've never experienced a miracle in your life. Everybody that's been born again better change their outlook. Yes, you have. <laughs> your new birth experience is a miracle. Amen. And so, nonetheless, uh, whenever he's talking to the woman and even just the whole uh, difference and change and understanding that came to her, the affected change in the life of the Samaritan woman, ultimately, was it because Jesus touched her again, but it's because he had dialogue with her. What uh, impacted her in that whole scenario was his Words And when she returned to the city, she even exclaimed to the people. And I know this is kind of highlighting some things we've already highlighted, but I'm doing this with purpose, folks. I'm setting you up, okay? And so as, as we look at this, she even went back to the city and said, come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. And evidently those things that he told her impacted her, we know, deeply. And it garnered belief inside of her especially when he said unto her i that speak unto thee am he meaning i am the messiah that you was talking about i am the christ or the anointed one that you was talking about not only that the samaritan people of the town coming out the bible says that many more believe because of his speaking of jesus his own word they believe because they heard his word themselves and so what we have here then setting this up going to the nobleman's son we have water turned to wine we have the dynamic change and alteration of the samaritan woman and the samaritans and both of them seem to be by a practice where their needs natural and spiritual were met with just jesus's word and it seems to be a common practice, not just in John, but throughout Scripture, that Jesus, although he may never touch someone or do anything else about their circumstance except speak to it, and yet that many times is enough. There's times we see him put his hands on people. There's times this happens or that happens concerning circumstances, but there's many times he just tells one, take up thy bed and walk. Or he says to an unclean spirit, come out of him. No other demonstration except his spoken word. <laughs> Hallelujah. And it's enough. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter number 8 and verse number 4, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? The verse very plainly where the word of a king then has power. And that power is demonstrated by what is accomplished by the king's word. <laughs> that power is demonstrated by what is accomplished by the king's word. In other words, the king may not even lift his literal finger. But if he lifts his voice, the power of the doing is in his words. 
The power of the doing is in his words. And so whenever we consider Jesus Christ, water turning into wine was showcasing the power of Jesus' words. The actions of the Samaritans and of the Samaritan town and the woman were the materialized power of Jesus' words. You say, well, Brother McGee, yeah, yeah, because does not Revelation tell us, speaking of Jesus Christ, that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords that is declared. And we see it over and over again. Then through the words of Jesus come the power to effect or accomplish change, healing, demon possession being exercised, if you want to call it that. Nonetheless, in Matthew 8, we read these words. Look at it. There is always this uh, this uh, link that seems not to be separated between the Lord's word, amen, and his power, his ability to do a work. A centurion said unto Jesus, in Matthew 8 he said speak the word only and my servant shall be healed don't come to my home I'm not even worthy for you to be there he says but if you speak the word the centurion had an understanding when the king speaks there's power to accomplish he said speak the word only and my servant shall be healed also his disciples one time they're all on the boat including Jesus he's asleep at the helm in, in the ship his disciples they awoke the master the Bible says because there's a very very great temptus out upon the sea and the waves are covering and coming over top of their vessel and the Bible says they awoke him and the scripture says then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Look what Matthew 8, 27 says. I think they have it up there for me. But after he did that, but the men marveled saying, what manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Huh? Jesus just came. He has all this chaos upon the water. They are notably afraid. He comes to where everything is chaotic, and he speaks some words of rebuke. And then everything goes calm. He spoke and then the calm, the calm was nothing more but the witness to his verbal power. That was in his mouth, his word. Jesus stands right at the graveside of a dear friend by the name of Lazarus. He has them, the others that are gathered there to remove the stone. But then with his voice, he cries out, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says, and he that was dead came forth. Jesus didn't touch the stone in front of the tomb. He had others do that. But a man got up out of the tomb because Jesus spoke some words. All right? The Bible says in Hebrews that he upholds all things by the word of his power. For that matter, the things that have been created and the things that are sustained even from creation, all the orbits of the planets, the, the sun rising and falling and all these type of things, all of those things is because of his word. Now, folks, that's powerful. That's, 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 the, that's the words of a king that has power. Look, if you will, consider Luke chapter number 4. Verses 31 through 36. I want to start reading this in verse 31. And came down to Capernaum, the city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath. This is speaking of Jesus. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. So just even in his teaching, some were gathering that, man, this, this is just not like some scribe or some Sadducee or some fair. This is a, no, 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 this, his word is with power. And then verses 33 onward begin to illustrate for us what they deduced merely from his teaching, his words. Look what happens, this illustration that comes about. And in the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. And cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee that thou art the Holy One of God. Verse 35, and Jesus rebuked him saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves saying, what a word is this? For with authority and power, he commanded the unclean spirits, 
and they come out. Amen. They already just by his teaching denoted that there were power in his words, but then there was an illustration that demonstrated even this power that was in his words. The psalmist David, even all the way back in the Psalms declared, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them. So whenever I tell you tonight, you probably don't need me to pray over you. That doesn't keep the word from finding you. I don't have to touch you in order for him to touch you. You don't need my oily hand on you if you get his oily hand on you. There's just got to be a word. And so we have these, these miracles. We have these wonders. We have these signs all throughout the scripture. Signs as they are sometimes labeled or called. All of these things in reality were to point to the power of the word. We started this whole journey in the gospel of John with in the beginning was the word, right? And 14 telling us that that word was made flesh. It became personified in the life of Jesus Christ. Huh? It, it became flesh. And so that Jesus Christ, that one who is word, there is power invested in him. So let's go on. Let's get to our, our text then. John 4, verse 44. For Jesus himself testified. He's moving on to Galilee. Jesus himself has testified this. We see this in also different places of the gospel. He testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Verse 45 says, Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him. Having seen all things that he did at Jerusalem, at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. What seems a little peculiar about these two sandwiched together is Jesus, John in, indicates that Jesus testified himself that no, no prophet is with, with honor in his own country, and yet it says he comes to the Galileans and they received him. John, this is, this is peculiar to John, John introduces this idea of a prophet having no honor in his own country. He introduces the idea when Jesus was going to be accepted by the Galileans. Whereas every other place in the Gospels where the idea of a prophet being without honor is used, it's always used in conjunction where Jesus was rejected by the people. In Matthew and Mark, the setting is this. Jesus came to his own country. And he taught them in their synagogues. And the Bible says after he had done that, they were offended at him. And the Bible says that he did not many works there. All right. Because of their offense, because of their disbelief. And it's in all of that setting that it's mentioned. A prophet is without honor in his own country. People that were offended, people that, that heard him but rejected him. But it is here in John that, that it's used here where, where on the surface he is accepted. The Galileans received him. They welcomed him. And so we ask ourselves the question, why did the Galileans accept him? Verse 45, I believe, bears it out. Because they had seen everything that Jesus had did at Jerusalem at the feast. There was a feast in Jerusalem that they were at. Of course, the feast that we are referencing is a feast that we've already studied in some chapters gone backward. Amen. They are referencing the feast of Passover. You'll remember uh, in chapter number two, Jesus going in there, he cleansed the temple, but that wasn't the only thing he did. We also have record that while Jesus was in Jerusalem, he also did miracles. He did miracles. John 2, verse 23 and 24. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, this is what's being referred to in John 4. In the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. If you remember this, verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. Amen. So it seems to be the miracles seem to have been the very drawing card for the people. The miracles even were the drawing card for Nicodemus that came to him by night because he's spoken to Jesus when he first arrived that no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. 
And so we have people that's, that's coming and gathering about simply because of the work. Simply because of the demonstration. Simply because of, if I may call it, the performance. I don't want to you know, degrade it too far there. The performance. So they've gathered around. So now these Galileans that now Jesus is entering into their vicinity Jesus prompts and said, no, no, no prophet without honor in his own country. But these people are receiving. Yeah, they're receiving him because they witnessed the works of the Lord. They seen the miracles. They seen the signs. They seen the wonders. But as Jesus, John even relays in John chapter number two, Jesus did not commit himself to them that believed just in his name after seeing the miracles because Jesus knew all men. He wasn't going to commit himself unto them. Amen. Because he knew the hearts of men. He knew the intentions behind their actions. In other words, Jesus knew that their belief was somewhat shallow superficial because their belief was primarily connected to the signs listen to me and not the word what would happen if people started an experience and some have with a sign only belief demonstration only belief huh because here's here's the grassroots of Christianity there's not always a sign there's not always a miracle that's on the back burner. There's not always a wonder. You know what you got to lasso on to when you have no sign, you have no wonder, you have no performance, you have no demonstration? The word. Oh, yes, the word. When nothing is taking place, you need a word to hold on to. Amen. You need a word to hold on to. And for that matter, every sign, every miracle, all that again was trying to point people to him. The very fountain, the source from which the work and the sign and the wonder came from. And so I'm convinced even here tonight that one of the reasons, I say one of them, one of the reasons that Jesus in his wilderness temptation before he started his earthly ministry, one of the reasons Jesus did not turn stones into bread and did not jump from the pinnacle of the temple downward is because he didn't want to start his ministry with everybody looking at him thinking that this thing is just all based on signs. Amen. Because had he started it like that, that's all people would have looked for. That's all that people would have served him for. Amen. Hallelujah. And even without starting it like that, Sister Sheila, he still had people. That when you're giving bread out, count on me. Hallelujah. It's like the potluck at the church. Amen. When you're giving the bread out, count on me. Amen. You multiplying bread, you healing the lame and making, making the blind see, I'll be there. Right? Because if words started happening, I tell you what, miracles are happening over there at 1121. We would have more people here, I guarantee you. Because they fall in love with the sign, but they've divorced themselves from the word. But you can't have the sign without there being a word. Amen. And so each time, notice what Jesus did. You all know this. Many of you know this. This is common knowledge to you. That every time that the temptation came, stones into bread and throw yourself from the pinnacle of the temple, Jesus would say, for it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What is he doing in that moment? He's teaching a lesson. Signs will come and go, but word will always be there. And the word is always a product, a byproduct, the initiator, I should say, the word is always the initiator of the sign. Amen. So he's elevating, in that moment, he's elevating the word above the work. Because as long, here's the, something we got to pull into our hearts, amen, as Christians. As long as we have the word, we always have the possibility of the work. So in all these other episodes of the prophet without honor phrases, you'll see that he was many times teaching in the synagogue or giving instruction that the people heard him teach or only speak. And in those modes, they didn't see a sign. And so they reject him just at his word. 
And as a result, they are then void of many miracles happening in their cities. Because when you reject the word, you reject the possibility of a work. So they rejected him at his word. And so they did not have many miracles that happened in their cities and towns because works are married to him and to his word. And so in Cana, in our scripture text here tonight, a nobleman, I felt like I had to lay a big foreground here tonight just for something very easy here. In Cana, a nobleman approaches Jesus then about what? About a sign. My son is sick. He's in Capernaum, about 20 miles away from Cana. He's in Capernaum. He's at the point of death. Lord, I want you to come down and heal the man. I want a sign. I need a miracle. And Jesus said, as I pointed out to you in our scripture reading night in verse 48, then said Jesus unto him, I can't laugh. I mean, it's really not, I shouldn't laugh. But it just, how true to life Jesus was. Then said Jesus unto man, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Now the actual except ye, the ye there in the Greek is in plural. So he's not just speaking to the nobleman. He's talking to every Galilean that received him because they were at the feast and seen the signs that Jesus did. Amen. He's saying, except, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Again, the Galileans received him because of the miracles. Nicodemus meets him at night because of the miracles. Contrasting all that, though, are the Samaritans <laughs> that believe just because of his word. And Jesus, through the Gospels, through Scripture, he is making great attempts consistently to get people just to take him at his word. Paul even describes it even later in one of the epistles to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 22 through 23. And this is part of a larger, a larger scope of Scripture. But he says... He said, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. He said, but we preach Christ crucified, and to the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. Now, folks, this must have been a pretty typical problem with the Jews in order for Paul to say the Jews require a sign. Let's take and just, just think for yourself here for a moment, just real quickly. Do you understand how frustrating it must have been for people not to take Jesus at his word, but always wanting a sign or proof of his word? I mean, think in real life right now. If every time you gave somebody your quote-unquote word, you always had to back it up, it could be the same individual. You always had to prove yourself. And there, wouldn't you start to disbelieve whether or not they believed you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> or, I mean, I love folks, and I don't mind showing some credentials, but after a while, you know, we've been down this road more than one time. How many signs are enough? How many miracles are enough? And the Bible goes on, Paul says, that the Greeks sought wisdom because the Greeks are the philosophers, of course. They're always seeking out some new thing to hear, some type of intelligent argument that they can back, back and forth. And, and Paul says, here's what we did. He said, we gave the sign seekers and the wisdom seekers, he said the same thing. We gave them a word. We preached Christ. Crucified. And he said a little earlier in that same chapter of 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 18, he says, here's something that we know. He said, those that are saved understand this, that the preaching of the cross, that word is the power of God. He says, the word is where the power is. Even Jesus in his high priestly prayer that he prayed in John 17, we understand that he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for those that would uh, hear his disciples. Here's what the scripture says in verse number 20. He says, neither pray I for these alone, speaking of his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Now, hold on, what's the deal here? Well, he says through their word, but if you go back up to verse number 14, Jesus says, I've given them 
thy word, Lord. His disciples. He says, I've given them God's word. So their word is the word that was given to them, which is God's word. Which if that's so, it has power to affect change. He says, so I'm not just praying for these alone. I'm praying for those that will believe on me through their word. And the word that they have is the word that I gave them. It's your word, God. He says, I'm praying for there be some people that will get connected to your word. Amen. Because that word, he even says, that word is truth. We're sanctified by truth. He said, your word is truth. It's a word that sanctifies. It's a word that's truthful. It's a word that's the power of God. What does the Bible even says throughout the Gospels and either other places of Scripture when he talks about works that even Jesus did? Jesus tells even the disciples and others. He says, greater works than these shall ye do but those greater works will never come about separated from my word because the word is forever settled the psalmist David said Isaiah said the grass may wither and the flower may fade but the word of God will stand forever amen Sadly, over time, uh, in the world, in the church, many people have used the Lord as a good luck charm or a rabbit's foot to bring them what they wanted or what they needed when they desired it. Oh, God. You know, it's the bedside. It's the call from the hospital saying, Pastor McGee, one of your parishioners are here in the hospital. They'd like prayer. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) But those are some of the times that I only hear from some people. When they're wanting their sign. But the other months of the year and Wednesday, Sunday morning, Sunday nights of the year, they forgot his word. COVID may be having an effect on me. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. They just treat God just, you know, kind of the just clock in, clock out. So it's about a 20-mile journey from Cana to Capernaum where the nobleman's son lay sick, which according, they say, it was quite easy for a man. It was about a day's journey for a man to go 20 miles within a day. But Jesus, instead of taking the trip, when the nobleman asked, come down over here to Capernaum and heal my son, Jesus, of course, gives a spiel about signs. You got to have signs in order to believe all this. And then he follows it up with this. This is so, this is Jesus at some of his best. The man is evidently wanting a sign. And he tells the gentleman, he says, go thy way. Thy son liveth. Now note, oh, sonny boy is 20 miles away from daddy. Sonny boy's 20 miles away from daddy and Jesus is not making the trip to the son. So what we have is a man that came seeking a sign but all he got in the moment was a word. It would take a 20 mile journey back to discover whether or not the word had the power. But the Bible says, so he's, Jesus, you see what Jesus is doing in this moment? He's forcing the nobleman to believe without a sign. He's forcing him to believe without a sign. I'm not giving you a sign, but I'll give you a word. See, and people that are just sign driven, they crumble with just getting a word because they've missed the miracle that the sign is always connected to a word. But something evidently, this this gentleman, 
This gentleman must have garnered something within his spirit. The Bible tells us in verse number 50 that the nobleman believed the word and he left. And the next day as he's continuing in his travels, because it happened at the seventh hour, which is around one o'clock, he probably couldn't travel all 20 miles in that day, which... You know, if you as a father really worried about your son, I think you wouldn't mind. You just go on, darkness, whatever, thieves may happen. I'm going to go home and check on him. But that just, again, attested maybe his faith finally in the word. Because as he's traveling the next day, he meets some of his servants that come to meet him. And they tell him that his son is alive, everything is well. And the nobleman asks them, at what hour? At what hour did this take place? And they said, it was the seventh hour that the fever left him. And that nobleman knew. He said, well, I was standing in the presence of Jesus. Whenever I asked him to heal my boy, it was around the seventh hour. And he said, "My," he gave me a word and said, your son liveth. And you're telling me you got a sign at the same hour. Maybe there's something to this word and this work scenario. Oh, someone say hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. And so the Bible says after he heard about the sign, the Bible says, and himself believed. Meeting the nobleman. And he had already said that he believed. And himself believed and his whole house. In other words, he believed God at his word. And he also believed him at his sign and his whole house. There's not a problem here because the nobleman believed the word before he believed or even knew about the work. And that's where God wants to get us, to take him at his word. All signs, all miracles, all healings, all wonders, they are pointing to him. Don't just wait for the fever to break. Grab a hold of a word. Don't just wait for the finances to come. Grab a hold of a word. Don't just wait for you to get up off your sick bed. Grab a hold of the word because the work is tied to the word. Yes. Amen. People come to me with marital problems. We need help, Brother McGee. When's the last time you entertained the word? Because you're asking me to try to do something disconnected. From his word. If the marriage is going to be taken care of, it's going to be because of the word. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It all comes back to this place of origin. Even the Bible portrays, even the Bible portrays, you see this, this disconnect, okay? Of people that's just fascinated with the sign and really have no intention, care, relationship, association with the worker or the, 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 the word. The Bible portrays someone like a man named Herod during the days leading up to in the judgments of and the trials of the crucifix of the Lord. Herod was enamored with the signs of the Lord. He really didn't have the appreciation that he should have had from which they stemmed. Jesus himself, but he loved the signs. Herod, whenever Pilate found out that Jesus was in Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod to try the Lord, and he was expecting, the scripture says, I'll read it here in just a moment, Herod was expecting to see a miracle done by him. He was expecting to see that, but as the story plays out, Herod's expecting to see a sign, but he doesn't do anything to effect a change in Jesus' pending crucifix. He's only attached to what he can get from him. Luke 23 and verse 6. Here's the story. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. He's speaking about Jesus. Is Jesus a Galilean? And as soon as he knew that he belonged into Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at the time. Verse 8, and when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle. 
done by him. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? Verse 9, though, look at this. And he, Herod, questioned with him Jesus in many words, but he, Jesus, answered him nothing. Herod wants to see a sign. That didn't materialize. Herod tries to talk to Jesus. Jesus don't even say anything. Jesus didn't commit himself to Herod because he knew Herod. No one had to testify of Herod. Jesus knew Herod. It's as though in this moment of Scripture that Jesus is saying, Herod, if you only want my work, then I'll even deny you my words because there's no work aside from my word. You're looking for my work, but now you want to talk to me. So I'm not saying anything because there's power enveloped in what I say. Jesus wants people's allegiance to him and his word rather than to what he can just do for us. The old preachers used to say, talking about there are people praising the gift more than the giver, the healing more than the healer, the miracle more than the miracle worker, the provision more than the provider, right? And it goes on and on and on. And if, it, if, if we don't watch it, we can get acclimated to just be an appreciative of what we receive and not the one who gives it. When everything that we receive in reality is trying, it's a neon light pointing back to him, the word. Amen. Whenever we go, you know, we've done some traveling here lately, and this is not real deep and profound. This is quite shallow, but I think you'll get the point. You know, we go along the way, and it says rest stop. A sign does, right? The sign is basically pointing to the reason for the sign. Rest stop two miles. You know what that tells me? The sign is really nothing in and of itself. The sign wouldn't be there if two miles down the road there wasn't a rest stop. Hallelujah. Yeah, we come across these other things. You know, you know how it is. And I know construction signs sometimes can change, you know. But we was going across one sign. said bump ahead. Right? Sometimes they're like five feet before the bump happens. Bump ahead. My goodness, what a, did you see the sign? Right? Why? Because the sign is pointing to something beyond itself. Your healing, your deliverance, all that is pointing to something beyond itself. Jesus did what he did in the Gospels in order to direct the attention of the people to where it needed to be. He and his word. I want to, I'm coming to a close. I know I've been doing, I've been a bad boy, you know, going over, but John 20, again, the whole theme of scripture of the gospel of John, let me read it again and put it in context really for you. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, right? Thomas is doubting who this is. Feel me, put your hands in da, 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 da. Feel me and know that it's I, because thou hast seen me. Thomas just said, my Lord and my God. He said, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. He said, blessed are they that have not seen. And yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in his books. He's done, he did a lot. The Jews required it, it seemed. Verse 31, but again, this is the very crux of all of John. But these are written that you might believe. These signs that are recorded are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. What he said? He's saying all of these signs are pointing to him, not just the sign in itself, that believing you might have life through his name. And you can stand with me tonight. I'll close with this. I mean, if, if I just wrap my hope around a miracle, then I just got that miracle. But if I wrap my hope around him, I have the ability of more than one miracle. You know it? If, if I just wrap my hand around a piece of bread that's been given, then that's what I got. But if I can wrap my life around the bread giver, there's an endless supply contained in him. And so with that said, properly placed devotion unleashes a stream 
of benefits. Mark said it in the closing of his book. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. They shall drink any deadly thing and it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Said up multiple times, but that wasn't believers following signs. That was signs following believers. They had tethered and just tethered themselves to the word. And as a result, there was the spillover effect of works. Hallelujah, because those two married together. All signs point to him. Hallelujah. If we embow our heads here tonight, I would wish you would help me right now and lift your voice and pray. Pray personally, amen, individually for you and your family, your own self. Lord, help me, God, not just to be one that's constantly looking for the handout and just the trinket or whatever it is. God, benefit that you divulge into the lives of us, O oh Lord. But we want to be tied to the Almighty God. We want, Lord Jesus, to lasso our lives around that eternal, never-changing, complete word. I pray, O oh Lord, today, help us, God, to be people, Lord, of your word. I pray, Jesus, today, God, we know, God, God, there are good things. We know, God, that there are bountiful supplies, God, that flow. Lord God, that spring from, Lord Jesus, the word. Help us, oh God, just to once again let our lives be in alignment, Lord Jesus, with you, be in a relationship with you. God, I pray, oh Lord, today, God, we need you to be enough. We need you to be enough. God, I pray, oh Lord, you load us, us down daily, the scripture says, with benefits, but the benefits comes from the benefactor I pray oh Lord today the one Lord Jesus who died Lord who in his will Lord he has dispersed his goods unto men Lord Jesus and women all across this world God that have taken his name upon Lord themselves and are a part of his family God the strength Lord of the will and the testament Lord Jesus does not take place or is in order or in force until the testator dies God and when you died it put those things into place but thank the Lord you didn't stay in the grave but you arose in your life forevermore God we want to understand that every sign miracle and wonder it's pointing to you and we want to accept you oh Lord and your word and let that power reverberate through our lives and our homes our families and our communities and we'll not fail to thank you and praise you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray amen Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.